Hello, and welcome to another exciting edition of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. We are, well, to say that we're pumped for this week's show is, is an understatement. We have a very special guest. His name is Mark Manson. He is the author of The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, uh, which I know is a crazy title, but, but the reality of his story is that this is the kind of book you need to read in order to, uh, in order to get you out of the rut that you're in in your life. And even though he uses some shall I call it strong language, even in his title. The whole point is about shaking you awake and out of out of the the ruts that you're that you're in. So getting him on the show was a big deal. We're really excited about it. And I, I'm gonna stop talking about it because I'm just gonna get in the way of it. So without further ado, Arthur, uh, author Mark Manson. So Mark, you don't you don't know this. This is John, you don't know this, but uh you're you're really a, a rock star to me. And it happened, I'm gonna tell you something. Amazon did this to me, okay? Your your book by it's first, number one on Amazon. I know by it's the way. like ridiculous, but this happened a while ago, <laughs> Gib. Um, this happened a while ago because uh, I was I was doing a lot of stuff with uh, you know Tim Ferriss and Angela Duckworth, you know Grits and Charles Duhigg, Power of Habit, and it was also like you might like this, and I was like, no, I don't think so. And then I would get I get another book, you might like this. Nope, I don't think so. Then it was finally like order this book now before you're the only person who hasn't read it. And, and, um, it, it, my, and my first question is, how do you sell, uh, I'm sure every interviewer in the world has asked this question, but how, how do you sell the title of the, of, of the book, The Art of Not Giving an F, uh, to a publisher? The Subtle Art. Uh, the Subtle Art, I'm sorry, because yeah, Subtle takes the sting out of the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, to be honest, uh, the publisher pushed for it, oh, yeah. which... Um, was kind of surprising because we we approached publishers with my agent and I we approached them with like a PG title and then mm. uh, a rated R title and um, and the Harper who we went with they were like we want the F word like we think it will uh, you know there's no such thing as bad publicity yeah yeah I mean it does catch your eye you see it and you and it's instead of don't sweat the small stuff it's it's right. yeah. the subtle art of not yeah. giving an F all of a sudden you are much more inclined to be like, well, at least want to know what it is and read the jacket. Also, having been a local news guys guy for m- many years, I-, I can just see myself on the set going, uh, the number one book in the nation is The Art of Not Giving a Woo! We can't say that on the air. <laughs> Why do reporters enjoy not saying cuss words on the air so much? Because we have suits on that don't fit. That's why. Um, all right. So I-, I-, I know Gib is also a big fan, so I'm going to let him get started here. Well, it's- so I guess the first question is, with a lot of books like this, what made you decide to write the, the book the way that you wrote it with such frank language? Sure. Uh, well, I, I decided, I mean, I've been writing online for eight or nine years now, and I've just always had a very irreverent, ridiculous, I guess, vulgar style. Um, you know, my, my goal was always to write about life the same way I talk to my buddies in a bar after three or four drinks. Mm. Um, you know, kind of like maintain that, that authenticity and, and just talk about things the way people talk, talk to each other. And those are the private. best conversations too, right? Those the couple of drinks in with your best friends and you're, and you're just, you're, everything's flowing. Yeah. And, and it, that's when you start saying things, you're like, you know, man, there's actually, there's a subtle art to giving an F and it's not as simple as you think, you know, <laughs> like you, stuff like that starts coming out of you. Um, and people laugh and it, but it's like that, that's what resonates you know much more than like seven tricks to make your life right amazing or yeah, whatever yeah, you that, know that's every book i've ever read <laughs> yeah. i want this i want the seven things you know this reminds me a little bit of of another book that i enjoyed in fact we're going to be interviewing her shortly uh jen sincero's um you're a badass um yeah yeah because it, it and it's it's like i i didn't realize i was sick of the here are the three things uh, and love him, but you know Brian Tracy and and uh, Jack Canfield and, and all those guys that I've read uh, until until I got to your book, until I got to Jan, uh, to uh, Jan's book too, where it's it, it a little humor goes along as long as there's data in it, right? Um, uh, yeah, the, the humor really does help. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple things going on in this whole world of like self development titles and, and whatnot. I think I think one kind of what you said, and and this was definitely true for me as well in terms of like what inspired me to write it. Um, I, I, I just got sick of all like the positive touchy feely, everything's awesome type stuff. I mean, the last 10 years has been uh, just kind of a wreck culture wise. And, <laughs> you know, right. as a, 
as as part of the millennial generation, like I, I just have grown up very cynical, and um, so I felt very strongly, like you know, okay, let's talk about making life better, but like let's not just let's not paint flowers and rainbows over everything. Like let's be honest about it here. And um, and the other thing too that that I've learned through my work online is is you know when you're when you're going to talk about it, like a lot of this difficult stuff about like you know insecurities and trauma and and your deepest fears and things like that like the humor is it, it is an important tool like people it's hard for people to go there it's hard to take the reader there with you um but you know if you can cut a a, a poop joke in or something like <laughs> it, it it makes everything a little bit easier <laughs> So one of the big theses of your book is that what you just mentioned is that everything, first of all, I also don't want to lose the fact that you called it the self-development genre and not the self-help genre. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Take, yeah. <laughs> taking a little bit of that old um, patina off of the term. Uh, the you, you open the book and you just alluded to this a little bit here, which is with this idea that everything should be great considering the glut of information and the amount of sources that we can derive information from and the number of ways that we can make money. Uh, why was that? Why is that bad? And why are we not happy? Well, I I think we we live in an interesting time in that because we're so well connected with each other, and because we have access to so much information, you know, literally in our pockets all day, every day, um, we have more opportunities to feel inadequate <laughs> than ever before. Right. Um, you know, if you think about people a hundred years ago living on a farm or something like they had two neighbors half a mile this way, two neighbors half a mile that way. And they never really worried about anything beyond that. Like us today, we're constantly exposed to thousands and thousands of people. Um, and so I, I feel like it, it exacerbates uh, a lot of our insecurities. It just creates all these new opportunities to, to feel like, Oh, my life's not like that. What am I doing wrong? Yeah. Well, we talk about that all the time. Uh, social media, Facebook, depression, and and what that what mm -hmm. it does to what it does to your psyche to see other people on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I I I am a uh, my wife and I are, are helicopter parents and and so we've been in, uh, as baby boomers we've been accused of just spending way too much time um, uh, telling our kids how amazing they are and watching them get trophies for uh, for almost getting on the soccer field um, and and so <laughs> I love chapter three because chapter three is. Hey, guess what? You're not special. Things fall apart. Mm. Um, and, the, and, and how did you come to that conclusion? Well, I, I think there's, um, I mean, my working thesis for life in general is that everything sucks <laughs> some of the time, at least some <laughs> of the time, if not often. <laughs> and like, that sounds like a really big downer, but um, to me, it's kind of, it's important and it's also kind of liberating because I think um, it, people don't realize when you have, when, when, when you start telling yourself or your parents tell you like you're special, you're unique, you have this special gift to share with the world, you're going to do great things. I think it kind of unconsciously starts stacking all of this psychological pressure on top of you. Mm. And, and so you start to see this, you know, these kids get into their twenties and they go like apply for their first job and they're told to go get coffee. And they're like, well, I'm, I'm destined for great things. I shouldn't have to get coffee. And, and so they have this identity crisis, you know, at, at an age where they, they shouldn't have any business having an identity crisis. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's backfiring in a lot of ways, this, this kind of approach to self-esteem and making everybody feel good all the time. Like it's important to understand, like, life is it's it's drudgery a lot of the times and that's not that's not that's okay like that's just part of the deal like that's just part of what you have to deal with do you find it slightly ironic that in coming to the realization that you're not special you have written a book that makes you in fact quite special <laughs> yeah i well you know the whole a lot of things work that way <laughs> and 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 it's funny that you say that because it I, I almost feel vindicated because like most of chapter one is dedicated to something i call the backwards law which is like you become successful the moment you stop trying to be successful right <laughs> yeah that's a hard that's a that's a hard truth to, to it's like to it's, like, it's like every renaissance painter and every stoic right <laughs> <laughs> 
Right, exactly. Yeah. And that's yeah. actually that's actually a good question. So that is a very stoic concept, and you have a couple of stoic concepts. Are you? We uh, we had Eric Barker on the show before. Love him. He's a stoic. We we've we've had Ryan Holiday on the show. I happen we yep. happen to we we've read both of their books and uh, Holiday, Ferris, all those guys. Are you? Would you put yourself in that camp? Um, I'm I'm uh, I wouldn't call myself a stoic. So I never got into stoicism the way those guys did. Mm-hmm. Um. Because you, supporter, because you did because you didn't you know? give an F. That's why. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I'm a supporter. Big thumbs up to to, to stoicism. Um, my my background is actually I, I got really into Zen Buddhism in my 20s, and Zen is kind of like the Eastern equivalent of stoicism. Zen mm-hmm. is like the the version of Eastern philosophy that is like, you know, shut up, sit down, stare at a wall. You don't exist. Right. Um, none of this matters. Your successes don't matter. Your failures don't matter. Keep staring at the wall. Shut up. <laughs> right. Um, so, so like, that's my background. Sounds, a, sounds a lot like, a lot so, of, sounds a lot like Arya Stark in, uh, in season six of Game of the Thrones. Game, <laughs> Game, of, Game, the Game Thrones? of the Thrones. Oh my <laughs> oh gosh. Oh my gosh, you're fired. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to find a way to edit that out. That's like the Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I was going for the joke there. And I interrupted you. Go ahead. That's all right. And you that's screwed right. up the joke, I mean, too. That's, you can't, that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a spoiler. I still haven't watched season six. So, yeah. You know, that's a spoiler. Oh, oh gosh. Um, that's on you. At she, this point, that's on you. She looks at the wall for a very long time. She does? Okay. Go ahead. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of my book, it, it kind of comes back to this this idea that, like, you know, you don't really know who you are. You don't really know what success is. You don't really know what failure is. A lot, a lot of this stuff is just narratives that you're inventing in your brain. Mm. Um, and it's, it's not as important as, um, you know, the, 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 the way those narratives make you feel isn't nearly as important as like what the value, what values those are based on. Um, and so there's a lot of crossover with stoicism there and there's a lot of similar messaging. Uh, but personally, you know, I never studied stoicism very deeply personally. You know, this, this to me is, are you familiar with uh, Scott Peck's The Road Less Traveled? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Big fan of it. Yeah. Me too. And I was going through some, it seems like about every six months I go through a hard time. But I, but, but uh, back in the day, I was, I was actually going through a, a divorce and somebody handed me the book and said, read this. And of course, the first, the first sentence in the book is, is life is difficult, right? Period. And it goes, yeah. and, and the moment you can, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the moment you can embrace, embrace that, then you will start to uh, you, you you will start to um, to grow right and it, and it talks about yep. and it talks about happiness you know being a problem and and in another chapter of yours which is what chapter four he talks almost through the whole book of the value of suffering have we forgotten how to suffer yeah yeah I think so I I think so much of our our you know our consumer culture and our technology the last few decades has been it's been built around like comfort. And, um, I, I think a lot of times people mistake comfort for happiness, um, when they're not the same thing. And, uh, it's, it's difficult to learn how to differentiate the two, but yeah, I, I think in many ways we've become too comfortable for our own good. So you, uh, you also say, speaking of being uncomfortable, that we need to embrace this idea that we will one day die, which again, is another overlap with stoicism. That's that, one of the really interesting things I find about this is usually when a lot of different philosophies uh, converge on a notion and across continents and millennia, it, there's probably some universal human truth to it, right? Like you talk about, not, yeah. you talk about not mattering. That's there's two books, the Bible, Ecclesiastes, and uh, Lamentations, that are basically saying the same thing. Zen Buddhism has the same concept. Stoicism has the same concept. So there must be something to this idea of letting go of our own internal need to be important, but also this notion that remember you will die. Not only is that in Game yep. of Thrones, Valer Morgolis. <laughs> but, okay. uh, Game but, of Thrones, man, you got to catch up. But it's also, you know, it's also Stoic philosophy, Memento Mori, which is Latin for "Remember you will die," which I, I'm getting yep. tattooed now. Um, All right. But yeah, that, that that notion, and that seems to be a part of what what you gleaned from your your Zen practice. So, you, can you talk to us a little bit about why we need to embrace and remember the fact that we're going to die? Yeah, well, I spend a lot of the book talking about values, and I don't mean that in like you know good old family that you know Republican stump speech, family values type way. I mean values in terms of like what we decide 
matters to us. Like what, what are, what are like the few principles that motivate us throughout our life? Um, you know, what are we prioritizing above everything else? And, um, the chapter about death, I, I point out, I say, you know, ultimately death is kind of the only way for you to accurately, uh, see what matters and what doesn't. Um, because everything, everything you think about in your life, like everything you think is important now, or you feel is very important or, or bothers you a lot, you know, it's, it's all relative to something else going on. Right. It's all relative to, you know, the neighbor down the street or what your brother's doing or what the people at work are thinking. And, um, death is kind of the only thing that it's like, it's absolute. And the great equalizer. uh, yeah, and it, it's it's the one thing that you can measure everything in your life against, and you get like a very clear sense of like, you know, all right, if I found out tomorrow I had cancer and I was going to die, would this still be a big deal? Would I still right. care? Would I still have right. this argument? Um, and a lot of people, you know, death is scary and it's uncomfortable, so you know, we all pretty much avoid thinking about it. But there's there's a lot of psychological benefits, I think, to um, being able to 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 consider it i always like to say that death is a shocking inevitability but what i like yeah. about what you're saying is when i told john that i wanted to get the memento mori tattoo he's like man that's dark but here's the thing when you got your cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. all you did was go through and do exactly what he's talking about yep. doing yep. of going through and figuring out what's important yep. to you yep. so i have yep. to, all i have to say to you is I'm getting the dang tattoo, and and uh, and you're 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 not being self-reflective enough. If you think that's too dark, yeah, I, uh, Mark, I, I, I was smiling while you were talking about the uh, end of end of life thing because about uh, two years ago, I got a terrible cancer diagnosis, and uh, and then and then metastatic, and and then going through chemotherapy and all the rest of this stuff. And Gibbs been really like right on my given my wife both been right on my shoulder, and Gibbs been trying to you know, trying to train me and and we were on the ketogenic diet they're always talking about and this and that. And actually, uh, in about three hours, which is why we wanted to do this a little bit earlier today, I'm headed to MD Anderson for my first scans um, since all of this, since all the treatment happened, just to see what's what's going going on there. So I, I, you talk about resonating with your book. I mean, you know, you know, for for sure. And and I think that, um, I think also, if we can find the Latin for this, I think happiness is a problem. Is a great tattoo, you know. Also, because we all we all we all just think we deserve happiness, and it, it seems to be getting worse, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. There's a sense of entitlement about it, yeah. and uh, it, it's funny, you know. First of all, I hope your scans go well, um, but it's thank you. So when when my when when my agent and I when we were pitching this book, we went we went to New York and we had meetings with seven or eight publishers and different editors. And we're going around pitching the book and, you know, we're basically pitching. It's like, it's a self-help book about pain and death, (laughs) you know, which is some people kind of got it. And then some people just really didn't, they they didn't get it at all. They're like, you know, all right. uh, So how many Facebook followers do you have again? And I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, they don't get it. Um, And then I went, I remember I, I went into my first meeting with uh, my editor, uh, Luke Dempsey at, at Harper. And, um, walked in, sat down. Very first thing he said to me is he said, I'm a cancer survivor and it's the best thing that ever happened in my life. And I want to publish this book no matter what. And it was like within five seconds, I'm like, this is the guy. (laughs) Like he gets it and he gets it on like a deeper level. Um, You know, you could tell he cared about it. And, uh, and yeah, so he ended up buying it and it, it, he did a great job, like very happy working with him. Would you say that this is a good way to summarize sort of the purpose of your book? It's it's to give somebody the kind of clarity and experience they get when they get a terminal diagnosis before they get to the to the terminal diagnosis. Yeah, that's actually that's a really good summary of what I would hope to do with it, for sure. And and you know, I, I look at some of these other books. You know, when you look look at um, uh, you know, Ego is the Enemy from Ryan Holiday, and also the Obstacle is the Way and Grit. You know, there's there's so much data in in there. This book feels to me like like it came from enlightenment. I mean, you mentioned you mentioned Zen Buddhism, but I mean, it really, in, and that's why I think it might it might have been for some publishers a you know a hard sell. 
Um, but it's it, it's not so, you know, uh, gosh, overbearing, shall we say? That I love you, Tony Robbins, yeah. but over, overbearing. And you got to do this and do that and then walk on fire. But but it's 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 a comfortable way to present it. But I also get this feeling that, that you, instead of just searching everything on the internet, this all came to you as as an epiphany is that is that close uh no <laughs> but i'm really flattered i'm really flattered because i did do a lot of research that's a great over speech many years. <laughs> a great speech william now what are we going to do but i mean i mean a lot of it is life experience i mean there's there's a number of you know very influential moments in my own life there in the book but uh but yeah it was a lot of research too it was a lot of studying um and and, but I mean, as an author, what you just said is a huge compliment because, you know, one of, one of the goals for me as an author is to take all of that academic jargon and philosophy and stuff like that and distill it in such a way that, you know, somebody walking down the street can just pick it up and, and understand it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about the this idea of how to find uh, how to find your purpose and how to view your life through a lens of purpose that that Mark talks about in his book. Our show today is brought to you by the Littleton Coin Company. Have you inherited an old coin collection or accumulation of coins and currency that you're not sure what to do with? You don't know what it's worth. I just cleaned out my grandmother's house. Have a ton of this stuff. Well, Littleton Coin is here to help. For over seventy years. Littleton Coin has been helping people just like you sell their coins and currency. As an industry leader in collectible coins and currency, Littleton can actually pay you more than the competition. Plus, in 2016, the company's president, David Sundman, received the ANA, American Numismatic Association Dealer of the Year Award. For those of you who don't know, a numismatist is a coin collector, a coin expert. And Littleton Coin was honored with the Better Business Bureau Torch Award for Marketplace Ethics. So you know that these are people that you can trust and rely on. I don't know much about coins. I don't know enough that, that, that I can even know what to search for on Google. So you need somebody that you can rely on. You need an expert that you can trust. So whether you're an experienced coin collector or you're someone like me who needs help identifying what's in the collection, Littleton Coin Company is the place to sell your U.S. currency and coins. Uh, here's the deal. It's really simple, and you can learn more just by going to littletoncoin.com tesh. That's littletoncoin.com tesh. Or you can call them toll-free, 877-857-7850. That's 877-857-7850. You've heard me talk about it before. It's pretty incredible. Virtue Labs, it's a new hair care brand with a vision to give everyone the best hair that is scientifically possible, right? Intelligence for Life is all about using the research in order to improve your life. Well, that's what Virtue Labs has done. Six years ago, a group of bioscientists working in restorative medicine discovered an incredible new protein. They called it alpha-keratin-60-KU. You don't even know what it, what it, what it means or what it, anything about it except to know that it has the power to completely transform your hair. Alpha-keratin-60-KU is a mouthful, but it's a whole human protein that's identical to the actual keratin in your own hair. That's the stuff that makes your hair... Uh, it's, it's what makes your hair hair. I mean, your hair is just keratin. So it can resurface and fill in the cracks from damage to change your hair's quality and appearance, not just now, but forever. And right now, you can only find it in Virtue Labs lines of shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. Not to mention that each formula was created to address specific issues like heat damage, frizz, or thinning hair. That means more bounce, more shine, more strength, and more life for your hair. And as a guy who is losing my hair... Uh, this is amazing. Anything that gives me more bounce or more shine is something that I am definitely excited to try. Definitely going to give me, um, again, going to give me a little bit more confidence around, around the house to have that extra bit of strength. It makes your hair as healthy as it was when you were in high school and you were still growing, right? That's the kind of luster that it can give you. So if you want to experience it, you can try Virtue right now at 10% off and you get free shipping with the code TESH. So you're going to visit VirtueLabs.com, place your order, use offer code TESH. It's time to start treating your hair with a little more humanity. It's time for Virtue. So Mark, one of the, one of the underlying concepts that you deal with in, 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 in all of the subtle art of not giving an F uh, is this idea of, of finding the thing, seeing your whole life through a lens of things that move you, quote unquote, forward. Uh, and and mm -hmm. you need to do that by, by coming up with, does it serve a broader purpose? How do you know what that purpose might be? How do you? What are some 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 
tools that people can use to figure out what they really want to be doing with their time? Because I feel like we're yeah. so we're so inundated with all of these options that some of us don't even know what the most important thing is. It to be the best Call of Duty player? Is it to be the guy that is the? <laughs> I mean, I take a solid nap in the afternoon. I, could I be the world's greatest napper? How do I how do I view that? Uh, you can be anything you want to be, man. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> if you just believe in yourself. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I actually think I think the the best answer to this question is is actually it's a matter of removing things um from your life because i I feel like you don't really this kind of ties into the whole death thing like you don't really know the value of something until it's it's gone and i think for a lot of people out there you know i I think a common problem today is people feel pulled in like five or six different directions um and they don't know you know, they're, they're scatterbrained and they're, they're, they feel spread thin over a lot of things. And, um, and they don't know what's worth spending the time on or what they should dedicate more time to. And, and I think the, the answer is simplification. It's, it's start eliminating things from your life. And How are you not stoic? Keep, How is that not? It's unbelievable. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> it's, it it's start, you know, and then, and then, see how it feels because a lot of times you you remove something from your life and and you're like terrified of removing it um you know say playing call of duty but then you do remove it and two weeks later you're like oh my god i can't believe i spent so much time playing call of duty there's this like sense of relief yes that you you aren't weighed down by it anymore that's me uh, in removing i took the facebook app off my phone and i feel exactly that way about it yeah yeah absolutely so yeah i i think and and it's funny. I I was talking to a friend about this recently. Like I think we're going to start seeing kind of a trend in the next ten years of like different kinds of fasts. Like mm-hmm. you're going to get you're already starting to see like social media fasts. But I right. think I think you're going to start seeing media fasts in general. Like people are just going to shut down like news and television and and video games for you know a month or two months or whatever. Um, because yeah, I, I think it's. Uh, it's impo- it's impossible not to just feel like you're you're being overridden uh these days with like too much stuff mm-hmm. um and so yeah i think people are going to start developing habits of like cutting stuff out and seeing how it feels you know there's a nutritional uh metaphor to what you just said too because as part of this um, anti-cancer ketogenic diet um, we, uh, Connie Gibb and I, we, we fast for at least 16 hours a day, you know, every day. And sometimes it's for, it's for a couple of days and the mental clarity and the mental acuity and all, I mean, it's so incredible. And I, and I have to imagine that when you, when you do that, uh, technology fast, it, it probably has the same effect. Oh yeah. 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 Actually, I mean, w- one of kind of the initial place I, I came up with the, the concept of the book to begin with. Um, you know, my wife is Brazilian and there's a, a ton of like just really amazing, lovely beaches out in the middle of nowhere in Brazil. And, uh, she and I went on like a, a little vacation, little trip to one of these places for about four or five days. And we get out there and there's no cell service and mm. the Wi-Fi in the hotel doesn't work. And of course I like immediately start hyperventilating and <laughs> you know crawl, crawl into a fetal position saying like <laughs> you know I have to check my email I have right. to check my email um but it was crazy by the by the second day by like the end of the second day my brain was just so felt so relaxed and so open and then around the third and fourth day I just I started having more creative ideas than I had had in you know, in those last three days on that trip, like I had as many creative ideas as like the last six months combined. Yeah. Um, and it, and it was actually on that trip that I was like, you know, I should write a, a book about this. I should write a book, you know, about these, these concepts and, um, and really dig into this. That's how Lin-Manuel, that's what happened with Hamilton. Lin-Manuel was on vacation oh, yeah? and all he had was that Hamilton book, the Ron Chernow book. And now we have like the greatest cultural phenomenon yeah. of the last 20 years yeah. with it. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Um, you know, you mentioned that. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to talk about. First of all, when you were, when how did you write this book? Did you write every every day, like every morning? Did you write on inspiration? Um, was it a was it a task? Was there a finish line? Um, oh man, I mean, it, kind of all of the above. 
I'm always like, I always feel bad. So like I'm, for instance, I'm friends with Ryan holiday and you know, you've mentioned him a couple of times, like that dude pumps out. He makes me feel bad about myself because he <laughs> yeah, pumps out, yeah. like he's got a book like every nine months. And, uh, and he, he's one of those guys, like he wakes up at 6 AM and he like goes and he, he writes 3000 words every day and, wow. and he does all this stuff. And, and I'm the complete opposite. You know, every, I, I always start getting, feeling a little bit awkward in these interviews because I'm just, I feel like I'm such a bad example. Um, but yeah, with not for art, nothing though, it, you're outselling was... him right now on Amazon. Yeah. So, you know, maybe your method is better. <laughs> Don't tell him I said yeah. that. Don't tell maybe, him I said that. Maybe I should start selling the Mark Manson method. You know, it's uh, wake up at 11, <laughs> it, drink it, a Red Bull, write for 30 minutes. Are, <laughs> are like a <laughs> I think, I think, are he and his team brass check? Are they part of your marketing strategy? Are you using those guys? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No. Um, because I, I was just, uh, I, I worked with Ryan a little bit um, in, in that area, and uh, and he must have mentioned your book two or three times, and I, and I, I kept telling him, I've, uh, you know, I've, I've read it. The other question I wanted to, to, to ask you is, um, you know, a lot of times, I mean, we, I mean, we do television and, and radio over here, and, and, you know, people don't call in anymore and say, hey, I love your show or stop doing this. They tell you on social media, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. wh- what is the what have people told you about this book? Uh, what are the what are the testimonials? How do people use this book? How have they used it? Uh, it's pretty like, man, I don't even know where to start. I mean, pretty much every major life inflection point. So, for instance, I've. Um, I was a reader, uh, emailed me and, and asked me to be part of his, his proposal to his girlfriend. And like, uh, I was his girlfriend's favorite author. And so I wrote them the, like this really lovely thing and sent them like a signed book. And so I was like part of the proposal thing. And, and he said that like the reading the book, like kind of gave him the courage to like, actually like pull the trigger with that. Wow. Conversely, like I've had people email me. I I got an email like two days ago. It was a woman who said, um, she said, I haven't been happy in my marriage in five years. And I read your book and it gave me the courage to divorce him. Oh, nice and, job. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, like it, those, those types of emails are, it's always really weird because I think the appropriate response to that is actually congratulations. Um, but I, I always tell them when I respond, I say, you know, congratulations, not because your marriage is over, <laughs> yeah, right? um, but, but congratulations on, on, on finally like standing up and, and doing what you need to do to take care of yourself. Like that's a huge mm-hmm. step. It's yeah. very hard for people. Yeah. Um, but she only cut so and she only cut and pasted the first part. Congratulations! And sent that to her ex. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck. Like, <laughs> like look at this asshole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so it's been all over the place. I, I had a woman speaking of cancer. Um, had a woman who had terminal cancer, and she uh, emailed me and and asked me to send out if if I could send a copy of the book for everybody in her family because she specifically the last chapter. She said she wanted everybody in her family to oh, read the last man, chapter. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, and so stuff like that. I'm just like I'm floored. Uh, you know, I'm just like so shocked and honored to be a part of that. I think, I think you got played. I think she just owns a very small bookstore and wanted to get about 10 <laughs> copies for <laughs> free for her show. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in, in chapter six, you talk about uh, Manson's law of avoidance. What is that? Yeah. So Manson's law of avoidance is basically we will avoid anything in proportion to how much it threatens our identity or, mm. or threatens who, who we believe ourselves to be. Um, And the interesting thing about it is that it applies equally for positive things as it does for negative. So, you know, obviously we all avoid very like negative, uncomfortable life changes, Uh, you know, getting a divorce or, um, you know, changing careers, uh, breaking up with somebody, you know, whatever. But we also avoid extremely, positive things. We become very anxious and find ways to sabotage ourselves um, from things that could could change our beliefs about ourselves in a positive way too. So it's the 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 thing, you know, kind of a running theme throughout the book is that it's it's not about positive or negative. It's about how we see ourselves. It's about the meaning we create 
um, for ourselves and, and for the things that happen to us. I find that uh, whenever I, I make a choice to do something that will change my life or do something that will move me forward, whether it's an educational decision or or uh, participating in something that, that, that will be, not, to your point, like maybe not, not like fully life-changing, but will make a difference in my life, that whether it's God or the universe or however you want to put it, will put in, in, in the way huge boosts and helps and also huge obstacles, both internal and external. And I think that's kind of like yeah. the same basic notion. Yeah. Yeah. And the bigger the change, the bigger the emotional hurdles to, to cross become. Like I find internally, I, I will, I will present with my, it present to myself uh, in a consistent way, you know, and, I, and you talk about this in the book a little bit, this idea that uh, it won't work or, or reasons why it won't work or reasons why it won't be what I think it would, what, what I think it should be. And it, that starts to eat away at me in a very, um, well, in, in a daily way, right? This idea that, oh, okay, yeah. that's, that's a bad idea. And I, yeah. and I become really discouraged by that. Um, I also have an addiction to being right. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I really do. And, it's, it's a, and I know that it's bad, um, but you know that that concept is bad and it gets in the way of growth. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that, Mark? Yeah, I've got a, I think it's chapter seven. It's called uh, You're Wrong About Everything, <laughs> but so am I. Um, yeah, basically, uh, it's espousing the, the virtues of uncertainty. Um, you know, if you, it feels good to be right and it being right seems like a good thing to, to be, to, to, to pursue or to aspire to. But, um, it's, if you actually look at it in a bunch of different ways, certainty or the, you know, confidence in, in your own beliefs, um, or I should say overconfidence in your own beliefs, it, it leads to all these different problems. It, it, you know, you close your, yourself off from learning from others. You, um, you don't recognize your own mistakes and your own flaws. Um, it's a lot of, a, a lot of what's considered like evil. Um, you know, like psychologists have done a lot of research in terms of, you know, why do people do bad things? And, and they find that actually people who do bad things, they do it because they feel like they deserve to, and mm. they feel like they deserve to, because they feel like they're right. Mm. Um, it's like they, they, they have a right. Um, they, they have like some belief that they're like, oh yeah, well, of course I deserve to like steal from this person because, you know, they're, they're stupid and I'm, <laughs> I'm better because I'm, I'm this way or whatever. Um, and it's, it's only when you kind of eat away. I mean, there's like a famous, there's a quote I really like from the philosopher Bertrand Russell. He said, um, the biggest problem in the world is that basically that idiots are so certain in their beliefs and smart people are so full of doubt all the time. And, um, I, I guess I agree with that, but, yeah. um, but I also think there's a reason for that. I think it's, uh, you know, doubt is important because it, it's, it's what, um, opens us up to new understanding, new opportunities, um, views that conflict with our own, et cetera, et cetera. So when I was, when I was younger, um, and nobody wanted to sign me to a record deal and nobody wanted to put me on television. I was incredibly prolific. I would, I would, I would do these videotapes. I would pretend to do radio shows, uh, create all the different voices. I would write songs with just a cowbell. I mean, it was, I, I just, I just, <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden you, you have a couple of mild successes, maybe even a big one. And you start, start to out, outthink yourself. And I've, I've become a big fan of, uh, not only yours, but also Stephen Pressfield who wrote do the work and also the war of art. Yeah. And he, uh, and he talks about, uh, the resistance, right? And so yeah. in, in one of your chapters, you tell this story about when you were in high school, your math teacher, Mr. Packwood, I uh, used to say to you, if you're stuck on a problem, don't sit there and think about it. Just start working on it. Um, even if you don't know what you're doing, the simple act of working on it will eventually cause the right ideas to show up in your head. It's just, just do something, right? Yeah. Yeah, I call it the do something principle. Um, it, it's one of those things that your teachers tell you when you're young and you kind of roll your eyes and you're like, that's so stupid. But, um, you know, I had this great math teacher and he used to tell us, he, he used to say, if you just copy the problem and by magic, the oh, solution right. will present itself. Yeah, yeah, that's and we, we were all like, yeah, okay, whatever. And, but like you start doing it and you realize as you start writing it, your brain finds the next step. And, um, that lesson stuck with me. It stuck with me when I was starting my, my first business online. Cause 
when you're starting a business, you're like, you have no idea what to do. There's no boss telling you what to do. There's no, you know, if you start a website and you're trying to like market something like there's no right way to do it. Um, You have to actually try something and, and see what happens, watch it fail. And, and so suddenly I, I found, you know, Mr. Packwood in my ear just saying, well, well, if you just start writing the website, then the answer will make itself clear. And like, sure enough, it just started happening. Um, and so it's there, I found a, just a bunch of amazing a- applications of this, this concept o- over the course of my life. You know, it's, um, it helps with procrastination. It helps with dealing with uncertainty or dealing with, dealing with anxiety around um, not knowing what to do. It helps with like, dealing with people like, you know, let's say you, you want to have an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. Um, you know, if, instead of like worrying about the whole conversation and like how uncomfortable it's going to be, just meet up and, and just say the first like five words you need to say to them <laughs> or like gently broach the topic. Um, and then what you find is that you create a momentum within yourself. You start your mo- your emotions become leveraged in your favor rather than against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it, it just kind of rolls downhill. This fits one of your favorite quotes, John, which is the, uh, if you, if you want to do something big in life, you don't have to see the whole staircase, just see the first step. Oh yeah. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Don't just take the first step in faith. Oh, he, he said that he did. Um, and it was like, it was that sort of, you know, how do you eat an elephant? He just, he, one just, bite did, at yeah. time. he just did it with a <laughs> spiritual bent. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I, and I think we're I think part of the problem here is I'm not the writer you are, but I think the problem here is that we have so much technology, and I think it was even I can't think of who wrote the book, but steal stealing art, steal like an artist, steal like an artist, steal um, like an artist. Yeah. yeah, talks about setting up a you know if you if you want to create something, set up an analog area and a. Uh, and a digital area because it, it, we're able to edit so much, right? I'm not sure if you went through this with your your book. You can edit your creative art to death, um, and you never get yeah. nothing. Nothing ever comes out because you just keep second guessing yourself. Which brings me to, what kind of guidance did you get from uh, from your editor? Because I know you 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 loved him, uh, and and, yeah. and knew his work. Where how was he of such great value to you? Uh, I think editors are underrated. It's it's funny. I have a lot of author friends, and generally, editors. Anytime editors and publishers are discussed, it's always with like just a lot of four letter words and a lot of shaking of heads, and like mm. they don't get it. Um, but I, I I love my editor, and I I think he did a great job. The the biggest thing about the editor is he he detects. It's basically he is a BS radar. You know, like uh, as an author it's very easy to kind of get caught up in like trying to prove yourself or, or you get very insecure about something and you're like, so you try way too hard, um, you know, to be funny or to be cool or to be smart. And because you're so wrapped up in your own head, you don't, you don't see that happening. And so the editor is the person who comes in and is like, Oh dude, you're trying too hard. Like right. <laughs> just, just delete all this. You're embarrassing yourself, <laughs> you know? Um, and it's, it's hard to hear that sometimes because, because often it's, it's some of your favorite things is mm-hmm. are the things that he's like, yeah, you know, like you should probably keep this to yourself. And they're your um, favorite because they're the most self-indulgent. Yeah, exactly. Cause it's written for you. It's not written for other people. Yeah. It's, it's written to make you feel good. Um, and so, yeah, he was, he was great about that. And um, just, he, he understood the vision of the book from day one. And so, you know, he was great about um, kind of directing me, you know, saying, Hey, this, this is serving the vision. And, and I don't know if, you know, maybe this section isn't. Um, so yeah, we, we chopped maybe 25. My first draft was probably about 25% longer. Wow. Um, and and we chopped about a quarter of it um, through the course of editing. So we're really looking forward to the line extensions on uh, on this brand. <laughs> so uh, the subtle art of not giving an F for teens, the subtle art of not giving an F for the Christian man. Uh, the subtle of art. So I could just keep going here. I'm, I, I want to be your guy. So is I, I only have one more question. Give me may I have some more. But but I um, what's the one chapter that you're getting the most response to? What are people resonating with? Uh, it's the last one the one on death yeah um 
which it's funny as soon as I wrote that and, and not to like toot my own horn here but like I wrote that and I was like as soon as I finished it I was like this is the best thing I've ever written and it might be the best thing I ever write <laughs> which you know when you're alone in your office as a writer you're like you you have that thought a lot but yeah, um yeah. And then you have the opposite thought too, that, you know, everything you just wrote is garbage, but that chapter, I, 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 to me, it's, it's a very special thing for me personally. And I've been very, it's been very gratifying. Um, I've been getting a lot of incredible emails and social media comments about it. Like that one, that one seems to stick with people more than anything else. And I think to your editor's point of finding something that serves the broader purpose of the book or the broader vision, it, it brings everything that you say before it into relief, right? Yeah. So you, yeah. Th- this idea that, that finding what's purposeful, finding what's important to you, cutting out the unnecessary stuff, it, it's this idea of our own mortality would, should bring all of that and elevate the importance of all of those previous things. Yeah. Yeah. It ties everything up. And it's funny because, um, you know, that chapter starts with a story of a, a friend of mine dying. And um, I originally, in the in the very early versions of the book, I, I actually started the book with that. I opened it, opened the book. And speaking of the value of an editor, um, as soon as my ed- editor saw that, it was like one of the first things he ever told me after I, I signed the contract. He like looked at what I had and he was like, dude, you can't start a book like this. <laughs> <laughs> you can't start a book with like a guy dying. Like you have to earn that. Yeah, he's like, put this at the end. Come on, <laughs> nobody's gonna care that your friend died because they don't care about you yet. Not that that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, as we as we wrap up, I, I really want to talk, and you, we've alluded to it a little bit. I really want to talk about process, right? So, so this whole idea mm-hmm. of finding what's purposeful for a lot of us have big goals. We have big dreams about things we want to do. You had that when you had that epiphany in Brazil about wanting to write the book that you were feeling in your heart. What is what is a day in your life look like? How do you how do you get started? How do you uh, how much time do you spend writing? We joked about sleeping till eleven, pounding Red Bull, and playing video games. But what? How do you really write? <laughs> um, I'm I, well. First of all, I'm not a I'm not the type of guy who's always writing. So there's a lot of writers that, um, I guess you would call it like the Stephen King school because he he kind of popularized. Holy this, which is, moly! Did he ever? The, yeah, like they they get up and they, you know, you got like three hours a day, and and they'll the, the, you Hemingway write that the entire same thing. time. No matter what you've got, whether it's good or bad or what you're working on, um, I'm not like that. I, I I go weeks or even months at a time without writing. Wow. And um, uh, so for me, it's it's a question of um, a is there something that I feel really strongly about that I want to communicate, um, and then b um, is, is there some sort of obligation or is there like a deadline or something, um, you know? So it those two things determine how, how I do it. But like I said, I'm a terrible example. I mean, I don't know, maybe it's, it's, re- it's relieving for people to hear this. Cause I know, I know a lot of people out there, they read all these like productivity books and guilty, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, you're supposed to get up at six and put butter in your coffee and like <laughs> meditate for 10 minutes. And, like, okay. Okay. Right, yeah, Stop yeah, looking yeah, in my, you know, in my I've schedule. Been in our house. Yeah. Like I, I don't, I don't really do schedules. I don't, I don't use a calendar. Um, it's, it's really, it's a matter of inspiration and and necessity. So if something's exciting me, you know, I'll write for eight hours one day. And, um, and then if I feel like I have nothing to say or there's nothing going on, or if I'm traveling or doing a bunch of press and media, like, you know, I'll go a week without writing anything. That's like the type C personality. That you know, there's, there's type A and then there's type creative, and the type creative needs to have that connection to either the stress of a deadline or to have something that they're really passionate about, which seems to fit your personality. You ever, you yeah, know? yeah. I mean, I've I've tried all that stuff. I've tried scheduling writing time. I've tried waking up at the crack of dawn. Like, no, it doesn't work. Like, it mm. lasts two days, and then I hate everybody, and I hate my life, and I go, I like say screw it and go back to bed. Um, <laughs> And so, yeah, I just, this is how I, it's how I'm wired and uh, I, I just go with it. Well, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, one of my favorite books and, and uh, I, you know, it, it reminded me a bit of this you know, decades old book that's still popular and psychotherapist recommended is The Road Less Traveled by, um, by Dr. Scott Peck. And there was a review, I think it was the only review they used in the jacket of the book. And, and it's a review that I would absolutely attach 
to your book, and I think it's going to be what Brian Holiday calls a perennial seller. Um, yep. And the, the review was and is, it, The Road Less Travel is a spontaneous act of generosity. And I think that that's what you've got going here. And I, and I, I really, it's, it's wonderful to, to create something and know that it's going to save lives and, and, uh, and to your point, break up marriages. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but, but no, but really, and move, and I, we're always saying on our radio show, you know, we're here to move you from the place you are right now to the place you were meant to be. And that, that, that's, uh, that definitely fulfills um, that purpose, that, that mission. And, and uh, we're really happy for you and, and so grateful that just to, uh, you carved out some time for us to talk to you. Yeah, I, re- I really appreciate it, guys. If people want to follow up with you, uh, Mark Manson, uh, how do they how do they do that? Uh, so my website is markmanson.net, and I'm I'm posting articles and and other content every month there. And then you can follow me on social media, uh, Mark Manson Net on Facebook, and I am Mark Manson on Twitter. Yeah, were there, were a lot of those things taken? Like, was just slash Mark Manson taken before you got into it? Uh, yeah. And, and I, I'll, I'm going to throw this out there into the world. I've been trying to buy markmanson.com for about four years now and nobody can find the guy who owns it. Wow. That's um, a great story. So I, I've actually, I've like hired professionals to go find this guy and like, they, they can't find them. So that's a, that's uh, a great docu series. Anybody concept. out there in radio world know, <laughs> knows who owns markmanson.com. <laughs> yeah. What, what, I would what, be greatly appreciative. Wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if it was Charles Manson who he owned it? Yeah. Just, yes. All variations. <laughs> of you you got to go interview him and you got to talk to him. Uh, uh, this would be a great <laughs> documentary. I mean, Netflix hook us up here. We fi- we have a camera crew follow you around. It's called finding Mark Manson. And it's just the, the trials and tribulations of you trying to buy your own URL back. <laughs> are you in riveting. are you in because i think it'll be yeah, great it's, it'll be a great thing into identity theft we could go interview experts i'm, I'm producing this show thank yeah. you again mark for I'll, coming be, on. I'll be i'll be sure to watch that <laughs> and what's your blog up to now last last i looked it was like two million people reading your blog every day how many people is it now uh it's it's around it's one to two million a month right wow that's great that's well, great. that's more than what reads my blog i don't i don't have a blog but still well thank thank <laughs> thanks uh, thanks again mark manson all right. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, once again, just want to remind you that if you like this show, please go ahead and rate, comment, and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always follow us, your hosts, at John Tesh, at Gib Gerard, and at Connie Selica. Uh, we, again, are just so thankful that, that Mark came on the show today. And uh, thank you guys once again for listening. If you like it, tell your friends. Just a reminder that our show today was brought to you by Virtue Labs. Virtue Labs is a hair care brand with a vision to give everyone their best hair with the help of an incredible new protein called Alpha Keratin 60KU. Alpha Keratin 60KU is a whole human protein that's identical to the keratin in your own hair. As a result, it can fill in the cracks from damage and give your hair more bounce, shine, and strength. So to try Alpha Keratin 60KU exclusively, you have to use Virtue Labs shampoos, conditioners, and styling products. All you got to do is go to VirtueLabs.com, use the offer code TESH, and you can try the Virtue Labs shampoos, conditioners, and styling products at 10% off, and you get free shipping. So VirtueLabs.com, use the offer code TESH.